Win at Work and Life with Nikki Bush is the podcast where you and I explore what it means to win at both work and life. Today, you get to choose how to create a life of meaning and self-expression that includes both your work and life outside the office with your family. In this podcast, I'm looking forward to delving into the topic of bringing your whole self to the table. This is part of work-life integration, and I'll be chatting about this with dynamic personality Kensani Nabanda, who's the Group Executive of Group Marketing and Corporate Affairs at NedBank. Kensani is the Executive in Charge of Marketing and a member of the NedBank Group Executive Leadership. She ensures the cohesive and consistent alignment between marketing messaging, brand positioning, and business objectives across the group while also providing strategic input into various NetBank structures, committees, and partnerships. She's a very busy lady. Her <laughs> career in marketing has spanned 20 years, during which she has worked for leading South African multinational organizations, from Unilever to Diageo, South African breweries, and Vodacom. Kensani has a BCom, an MBA, and is a member of the board of FE Awards South Africa, a regular member of the judging panel for the Luries and Bookmarks Awards, and is a sought after public speaker. Kensani, thanks for joining us on the Win at Work and Life podcast to share your expertise and passion. And having spent some time with you as part of a live streamed roundtable conversation for NetBank's young professionals recently, I really felt you epitomized bringing your whole self to the table, which is the topic of our conversation today. So what does that phrase mean to you? Sure, I really love that um, you keep bringing your whole self to the table because um, for me, and I mean, I know it's different for different people, right? But for me, I don't have this dual personality thing of, oh, I'm a different person at work and I'm a different person in my personal life. So whatever you experience me, wherever you experience me, you will generally experience the same person. Um, you know, so what that means is that you experience the same passion that I have, you know, um, in my, you know, for my sports, you experience it at work, you'll experience probably some of my um, energy, you'll experience some of my drive, you'll experience um, some of my swearing in my drive, you know, so I don't have, I've actually one of my best friends, we've had this conversation, and she's pretty clear that her work personality is very different from her private personality in terms of how she is with her friends and her family. And I don't do that. It doesn't work for me. So what it means for me is that, you know, the person that you experience socially, if you meet me, you know, wherever, is the same person you'd experience at 135 Rivonia at Bank. Well, I have to say that, um, you know, when I looked at your bio that you sent through to me, the picture mm. that is on your bio is so you. It's not you in a corporate suit. It's you sitting cross-legged on a beautiful chair, pretty much in your exercise gear. <laughs> you know, I mean, it's smart exercise gear. And I thought, well, this is absolutely fascinating. She is so authentic. She's putting herself plumb in the middle of who she is, you know, like genuinely who you are in the middle of your CV. And I also realized that... Um, I actually spoke after you at an event a couple of years ago. And having, really, Nikki? Yes, and having listened to your bubbly personality, you know, in this roundtable conversation the other day, there was something in the back of my mind that was going, you've heard this woman before. This is not the first time you have heard her speak. And I, and I went back in my mind, and it was probably about uh, four years ago, and 
And it's the same, you are consistent, I have to say. You are absolutely consistent. And I think that that is a real gift to be brave enough and bold enough to totally bring yourself to the table as one person. And I've always said in so many of my, my presentations and, and my writings, especially in, in you know, when, I'm, when I'm talking to people who are also parents and in the workplace, that you don't cut, splice and divide yourself into lots of different pieces and leave those pieces in different places. Actually, work and home are where you express yourself differently, but it's the same person. Mm-hmm. So I actually absolutely agree with you. And I'll start even with the picture that you, you spoke about. And some of sometimes I deliberately will do that, right? Because I feel like I also need to allow other people to know that being authentic is okay, right? Like, you know, being yourself is okay. So even when I go into exco meetings or board meetings and I'm wearing my all stars, yes, it's part of expressing who I am, but I also do it provocatively, right? Because I do want to challenge the stereotypes of what a banking executive should look like and sound like. Um, And then I want, you know, people who are behind me, younger than me, to feel like, Actually, whatever it is that we are, whoever it is that we are, they should have the confidence to be able to do it, knowing that they can still achieve a great career, even, you know, with that. Um, and yeah, even how, you know, I'm, I'm a pretty expressive person in how I talk. I do that at board meetings. I don't try to tone myself down. Um, and it's so interesting for me, Nikki, in that like when I have tried to tone myself down or when I have tried to be sort of what's expected of an executive, I actually have not done my best work. And that, I think when, when I clicked on that, that was actually when the power of really being authentic just stood out for me because, you know, I was in an organization where I was really trying to like toe the line in terms of what an executive should sound like and be like. And actually I wasn't happy. I wasn't enjoying my job. And by the way, I wasn't delivering for the company as well as I could have. So that aha moment was so powerful for me. And I made the conscious decision that yes, like I will bring my true self, you know, to the business table in terms of who I am. But I will also be, you know, a slightly provocative at moments where I really wanted to challenge, you know, my peers, the board members of, you know, the bank, and then allow other people to look at that and go, whatever myself looks like, I'm able to, you know, bring it. And I love what you say about, so of course, I mean, in a lot of ways, um, you are in a corporate environment. So, you know, potentially there's some things that, you know, you can't say or how you say it and stuff, um, but it's still the expression of you. You know, you're not trying to be different. You're just, it's a different articulation of yourself in that environment. Mm, I sense, you know, it's an energy. It's the energy Mm. you bring to the table. Of course, you know, you're bringing your brains to the table, but you're also bringing your personality, your character, and the way you see the world the way you experience the world. And isn't that, isn't that part of what diversity is about? I think we've got so hooked on diversity being about race and gender that we forget that diversity also comes in the guise of personalities and character. I so love what you're saying because, so it's um, as the bank, the exco, you know, we have one-on-one um, feedback sessions with our peers. It's quite powerful actually. And consistently the positive feedback that I get is on that, like the energy that I bring, because what it means is that I then generally have a different opinion to what your, you know, maybe 
the normal banking executive would think about a particular situation and I'll go, well, I don't know. I don't think, also I'm a marketeer. So generally like, you know, if I'm talking to our CFO or CEO, but I think the particular energy that I bring also just brings a different opinion and takes us into a different discussion. And we might end up at a different decision, right? As, a, as an organization. And I think that's, that's what diversity for me, that's why it's so powerful because you bring all these different voices um, which you normally, you know, wouldn't. Um, so yeah, absolutely agree with you. I think sometimes we do get caught up and I think the, the, the racial and the gender, it's very important, sexuality, all of that, you know, is very important, but we forget that actually it's also about, you know, people's views, the energy that they bring, um, you know, their experiences, you know, where they come from, you know, all of those things are just such a powerful part of how you can impact an organization positively if you listen to those voices. Mm. And then, uh, you know, making yourself memorable and visible really goes hand in glove with that because you're not trying to be like anybody else. You are carving out your own niche that looks like you and feels like you. You had a, a very um, interesting sort of career trajectory. And when I listened to you, I thought this would be a lovely thing to share with people about how you need to share with the people you work with what your aspirations are so that they can actually get on board and help you get there. That, you know, you might have a throwaway line and I think your throwaway line to somebody superior to you was, I want your job one day or when I grow up, I want to do <laughs> one day or something like that. And, and that's actually what eventually happened. Like, it, take us through that, that story because I think it's very yeah. powerful. So, I mean... I've actually had a number of examples and I'll get, I just want to start, I think when I, start, when I started my career at Unilever and I said to my friends, I'm going to be a category director by the time I'm 30 years old. And that was like incredibly rare right at that time. And, and I told my, my bosses, my boss's boss that I want to be a category director by the time I'm 30. And everyone was like, ha, ha, ha. And Nikki, I was a category director when I was 25 years old. So part of, Putting it out there, I think, puts a challenge to me in terms of then what I need to achieve. It puts a challenge for the people I work with, my leadership, you know, my bosses, because they then start, like, they're like, oh, my goodness, we're going to have to manage this person. So, but then they start noticing me and, you know, and then also it puts a challenge on the projects that I get because then I go, I, I put up my hand for stuff that, you know, is going to make me noticeable and memorable so that I, you know, I do achieve that. But what was interesting was in between, so I was at Unilever for three years um, working on Rama. I then met um, someone who was the spin-off brand manager and I said to him, you've got my job. Like, that's the job I want. Um, and I was very clear that if I left Unilever, that's what I was leaving for. So when he resigned at Diageo, he said to them, look, I don't know, I've met this woman and um, this is what she said to me. So I was 23 at that time. And they said, oh, let's meet her. So I met um, Sharon Keith at that time, who was the marketing director at Diageo. And I, I literally said to her in the interview, I honestly think if you interview anyone else, you know, that's fine. You have to go through the process. But I, I'm the person for the job. Like I was so clear in my mind. And when I speak to her now, you know, she says they literally walked out of that interview and just said, oh, yeah, there's no one else we can appoint actually yeah." <laughs> Um, and that's what they did. And similar, even when I joined NetBank, so the, the one thing you don't know was that um, I joined as the executive head of Good Marketing in uh, 2017, September. And just before I joined, because I was serving my three months notice at Vodacom, 
the guy who was meant to be my boss, Tulani, then tells me that he's actually resigning from, uh, from uh, Medbank. And I was like, what do you mean? So I'm going to start without a boss. And he said, yeah, which like had, you know, your whole anxiety thing, you know, because when you go through interviews and then you've sort of made up your mind, you've asked about the person and you're like, okay, so that's who's going to be my boss. And I'm like, you know, a bit like an anxious, like who's going to be my boss. And then I thought, actually, I want my boss's job. So <laughs> I said to my mom, um, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring um, for this job. And she said to me, but you haven't even started at Netbag and you really want a promotion. And I said, well, that's exactly what I'm going to do. And then I said to her, what's the worst that can happen? They say, no, I don't get it. But then I'd still be executive head of group marketing, right? Which was a role that I was joining happily for, right? Like, so, you know, um, or the best that can happen is I actually get a promotion. And I got the promotion. So I started in September. Um, and then in January, Mike Brown and Fundo then said to me, actually, we're going to promote you. So for me, that power of just stating what you want and articulating it, for me, one, it puts it, I think, out there, you almost like have to go for it yourself. But then the people, you know, around you, like then have to sort of step up for you, right? Because they know exactly what you're looking for and you're clear. And it doesn't mean it'll always turn out the way you want. Um, but for me, it generally has. And that's why I would always advocate for that. So in, in, you used the words, uh, you threw your hat in the ring. And yeah. um, I like to connect that with casting vision forward for yourself. So, you know, always, you know, seeing what's your next step. Uh, mm. And sometimes that next step is clear for people. Sometimes mm. that next step is not so clear. And sometimes we don't our next step is not a forward step. It might be a sideways step. And that's not always a bad thing. Can you just talk us through, through that? Because, you know, sometimes, as you say, there's competition for one job. What if you don't get it? What if you don't get it? How do you deal with that situation if you go for something and you don't get it? Yeah, so, and I guess um, it may be, so I'll answer that and then I'll just go back to like the whole side step, right? Which I think is so powerful, Nikki, right? Like, so part of my leaving, you know, Vodacom was exactly that where there was a commitment done when I, before I joined the organization. And um, the first time that commitment wasn't stuck to, I stayed um, trusting the process and the organization and, you know, thinking, you know, things are going to, come to pass, but also being very clear that I was disappointed with what had happened, given the commitments that had been made in bringing me into Vodacom. Um, and then when the person who, who had gotten the job that I had been promised, they brought in um, an international person. And when they were then extending his contract by another year, it hit me really hard, Nikki, right? Firstly, I started questioning my own capabilities and abilities. And that's such a tough space to be in. I was thinking, I've been working in marketing for so many years. I've worked on so many incredible global brands, done great work. And here I am starting to question my value and my abilities. Um, and in that, I then realized, you see, when, when I get to a point where I'm starting to question myself, then I shouldn't be in this environment. Um, especially when I, I struggled to understand, especially the extension of his contract. I just really couldn't, you know, and when I was trying to get the answers, they just, they were not landing. And here's the thing, Nikki, when I resigned, 
the counter offers was we'll promote you immediately into that job that you know and then you'll do it with him for like six months and then he'll go so all this questioning of myself I'm so glad that I decided actually I'm not walking down this route of not trusting my abilities um, because in the end when I did resign and they were now saying okay here's the job it's yours and I was like but that this was what committed to three years ago I was patient for two years and then now you're extending this guy's contract so for me I think at times, so in the first instance, I decided to trust the process and I felt like I think my abilities would be clear enough that I would get it eventually. And then there was a time when they were extending the contract where I thought, nah, this is no longer about my abilities. So I need to remove myself from this. It's just not working for me. I chose, you know, especially when I started to question myself. But I think also one of the, the most pivotal career moments for me was my last year at Unilever. So when I went to Dubai and I was looking after skin for Africa, Middle East and Turkey, it was an incredible um, highlight in my career. And then I got a new boss, um, uh, Fernando Acosta. And I don't write, I mean, Fernando now, we, her, him and I like can laugh about this and stuff. He was incredibly ambitious, but I think in his ambition, for, forgot his team, forgot how to, you know, nurture, how to develop, how to grow, how to support. Um, so where my first two years was incredible career, doing extremely well, all of a sudden my last year, just feeling completely under pressure all the time, no matter what I did, just didn't feel good enough. It was just like such a weird thing. And in that time, I also had a personal tragedy. So uh, my my 19 year old brother, who I'd told about how I was feeling at work, and he had said to me, "Just quit. Like, why are you still working? Just quit." And I said to him, "You're 19. Things don't work like that easily." And so he then passed away, unfortunately. And in that moment, it hit me hard that here's me with all this doubt about myself, and then you die. Like, how can I? I don't. That's not the type of life that I want. I want a life where. I'm fulfilled, I'm happy, I'm positive, I feel like I'm adding value in my job, in my personal life, so that whenever, you know, the end happens, there's no regrets, right? I'm dead anyway, so I can't do regrets, but I just felt like I just don't want to have regrets, so I quit, I quit, and I, I quit with no job, um, I traveled a little bit, um, I, when I moved back to South Africa, because I was living in Dubai at that time, when I moved back, I moved in with my parents, um, I had no car, and I was okay with it. This is after you can, I mean, I was 32 years old. I'd been a category director for like, I think six years in total or seven years. So it's like really high flying career. And then just said, no, I'm out. And I took a six month break, moved in with my parents. And in that break, firstly, I didn't want to have a job. So I was getting a lot of phone calls from companies, but I didn't want, because I always think when I'm between jobs, I'm already starting to think about that, that next brand, what needs to be done. I didn't want that. And I wanted to figure out if I wanted to still be in marketing. And then I wanted to figure out if I want to continue working, how do I continue working? How does, what does it look like for me in a way that makes sense and stuff? So I went through that and it's such, you know, that six months, I, I, you know, I would advocate if anyone, if you can afford to, I would advocate, take, it doesn't have to be because mine, you know, driven by, you know, um, a death in the family and a tough work situation, but sometimes, I, I just really would advocate if you can take a break and just really rethink, refocus yourself and really articulate quite verbally how you want your life to look like and what you want your work to look like. And that is why when the Vodacom situation happened, I could, 
I, when I started, I, I, I said, these feelings feel familiar and I'm not going back there again. So I'm going to remove myself from this. So absolutely, Nikki, it's not, I mean, I always say like people see me now and, you know, on my social media, I talk about love my job. I post a lot of the stuff that we do with Maybank and I absolutely love my job. And people maybe look at it and they think, sure, this looks easy. It's not. Um, there has been some sidesteps, some disappointments. Um, but in all of that, um, for me, I think like the biggest lesson, honestly, that I learned was that I needed to be clear what the work environment, how I, you know, what it looked like for me. And what that looked like for me was bringing my authentic self, articulating what I want, being brave a lot of times. Um, and I found that I've loved my job even more than I ever thought I would because of all of that. Mm, so exciting to listen to somebody who loves what they do. And it's so obvious for me. But looking back at this conversation so far, I think what's important is that you take the time to do self-reflection. And there have been some difficult moments and you're advocating that gaps for growth are important. Mm. And to give yourself space every now and again, to question things, to reflect back on how things are for you, to question yourself, to really honor the journey, I think. And the journey is more than just hopping from one job to the next. It's also what happens in the in-between times. And it is the development of self. Work is part of your growth process as a human being. It's part of who you are. It's not something you do separate to who you are. And I think that's really evident in your story is that it's it's all wrapped up in, it's a form of self-expression for you. So you have taken the road less traveled. You did stop. You did go home even, which must have been a massive thing on a mental level to go back home to, yeah. <laughs> to heal, I guess, to lick your wounds, to 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 ask a lot of questions and then to find your courage again and step out again. Absolutely. And I mean, I love what you, because it, it's so easy to be so caught up in what are people going to say, right? Like, um, and you decide, well, let me just continue in this because I, you know, you know, and it was like one of the lowest points in my life. I was extremely lucky. So my parents were a bit concerned that like a little bit, are you giving up? Like, you know, there was a sense of, are you giving up? And I said to them, I just need time. And then they decided, okay, we'll, we'll leave it alone. Um, you know, she's 32, 30, you know, I think I was 32 at that time. Um, so I think they said like, she's been working, she's done well. I'm sure she'll figure herself out. I mean, so then they were supportive and said, you know what, you do you and you take your time. Um, and it, that is so important. I think we get so caught up in what are people going to say. And I mean, I always tell like little stories, funny stories, like where my friends and I, we love bubbles. And my friends would invite me out and say, you know, let's go for champagne. I'd be like, I don't have money, guys. And I would say like very like, I, I just, I can't afford it. And then my friends would say, oh no, we'll, we'll pay for you. Don't worry, we want to see you and stuff. So even that, just being honest with your friends about where you are, like financially and you know, all of that. I just found it so important where I, I didn't try to pretend. And then I didn't hide away because I just said, I just can't afford that champagne. He said, no, we'll pay for you, but we want to see you. And that connection, like don't hide away. Like, you know, really find connections where they're important. It's a, it's a gap to reflect, you know, not to hide. Um, so yeah, that's important. 
Mm, I think that's that is uh, the key to it. A gap to reflect, not to hide. I love that. And you said something very quickly that was almost lost there, and it was that you need to take time to do you. Mm. And and by Absolutely. that, I think you mean to focus on you, to really get inside yourself. Just can you can you expand on that a bit? Yeah, so, you know, I, I always say to people, do you, right? Which means um, don't try be someone else. Don't do what makes sense to you. Do what, you know, um, sets your heart on fire. Like do what makes you passionate. Do what makes you happy. Not what other people think about it. Not what other, you know, um, and other people could be even people who love you. It's like, you know, my mom saying, but you haven't even started at Nedbank. Why would you apply for your boss's job? And now just, you know, do you. Don't listen to your mom at times. Like, you know. Uh, <laughs> so I think for me, it's, it's so important. And by the way, I think whatever then happens in that journey, Nikki, you can't blame anyone else if things don't go the way, right, they're meant to go. Because you've made your choices, you've, you, you know. So um, I don't know if you know the Louise Awards, right, in advertising. The Louise, um, yes. So every year they, they award the marketing leader um, of the year. In like doing me and just being me, it's given me so much success. So for example, I'm, you know, I've been nominated as you know, one of the marketing leaders of the year for the Louis Awards. So they award every year um, a marketer of the year. And that for me in South African marketing, right? And advertising is the pinnacle of a marketing career. Like if, if I do win it, it would be like incredible. Um, so I think doing you and just being authentically you has been such a, a massive success journey for me. And that's why I don't advocate for people to try emulate anyone else. Um, I just think, yeah, make it make sense to yourself and who you are and who you are authentically. Mm. That's such an interesting point because I'm sure you've had many people over the years come to you to say, well, how can we be like you? Uh, I have people come and they sit and they say, oh, we want to be a speaker like you and we want to do this. And I go, but you can't be like me. You have to be you and you have to travel your own journey. Yes, I can give you some hints and tips, but actually how you unpack that journey is going to be so unique. And what, what people buy into in terms of uh, your brand is who you are and why you do what you do. You know, so many people have similar jobs. I mean, there's lots of other group marketing people in the country, but nobody does it like Kenzie does it. And that is that yeah. unique masterstroke that makes you different and makes you marketable and makes you valuable is not trying to be like somebody else. That's, it's so powerful. And in that, so for example, a lot of my public speaking tends to be very vulnerable. I speak about my personal experiences very openly. I speak about my challenges, you know, you know, very openly. And I've seen other public speakers who are different and it works for them. And that's good. And that for me, you know, when was it? I think two weeks ago, we're going through a massive change as a bank. And um, my head of marketing for retail and business banking asked me to come to speak to the, the retail and business banking marketing team about you know, change is constant, growth is optional. And in that, I could have done a very sort of, uh, what do you call it, like textbook, change is optional, growth is, sorry, change is constant, growth is optional conversation. 
I tend to do that with my own personal examples of when the growth that I've gotten from change and when I've been, when I've decided I don't like this change and it's actually not worked for me, I should have actually accepted the growth that came in that change. Um, and I used very personal examples. And afterwards, I mean, the, the reaction that I got was so powerful. So, and that's the point, Nikki, around like, no one can emulate Nikki Bush. Like how you do it is, you know, so you, and I, I love it and it works for you. But Kenzie can't be Nikki. Kenzie has to do it in her own way that, you know, people will then connect to that. Um, so I, I definitely buy into this. So when people tell me, even in, in my marketing leadership team, I guess maybe people would think, are your, are your marketing executives similar to you? They're actually not. Like, you know, I look at Ntabi saying who heads up um, the group marketing team. So we ended up getting the job that I got promoted from. She's a much quieter leader. But bloody hell, Nikki, she is an amazing leader, but in such a different manner from me. And she's doing so well doing her. And that's the bit that I really want people, you know, to just understand that we, we will all achieve like our success on different parts in different ways and in ways that are just true to ourselves. Mm. So I want to, to shift this conversation, particularly when it comes to women, uh, to negotiation and holding your value. Because when you're building a career, sometimes you get faced with an offer. Mm. And I know that uh, you've experienced this over the years. For many years, you accepted the offer that was on the table. And then you discovered, because you were a communicator, <laughs> When you were chatting about some offer on the table and you were chatting to a male counterpart, he told you, hey, don't accept that offer. You've got to go into negotiation here. Now, this is, this is often a big difference between men and women, particularly in that corporate landscape. Can you give us some insight into that? Because you learned the hard way, didn't you? I did. So I literally, it was when I was going on my expatriation and my guy friend was, you know, doing the same. Okay, just for those, my for, the, for those who, who, who don't understand that, you worked for an organization that sent you offshore for yes. a period of time to work in a foreign country. Yes. Right. So, you know, when they put the offer on the table and it, it, it looked pretty reasonable, I could understand that they have something called a cost of living allowance, but right. They say in South Africa, um, you know, if the cost of living is at 100%, you're now moving to Dubai. When we look at this basket of goods, your cost of living goes up, let's say, by 15%. So we'll take your basic salary and take it up by 15%. Then they look at, they give you like what they call an international spending allowance that they also base, or, you know, so they, it's, it seemed very logical to me, Nikki. I didn't have nothing to question. And it was a good package. It was a good package. It was a good package, you know, and I signed very happily. And my counterpart, this guy, was just not signing. And I said, but I don't understand. What, what are you arguing? Like, what are you negotiating? And he said, firstly, do you know in that cost of living allowance what they've calculated? And I said, well, I don't, firstly. And then I found out. And he said, like, they've got, like, bread, milk. You know, that's how they calculate the cost of living allowance. And he said, my life, Ken, is not about bread and milk. He, he was so direct. He said, my life, I drink Shiva's Regal. I want Shiva's Regal to be in that cost of living bundle, right? Like, so that when they calculated, they're actually calculating it based on my lifestyle in South Africa, not just a generic sort of lifestyle. And in doing that, it ended up that the cost of living allowance you should be getting was a higher percentage than what you knew that I had put on the table. And he got it. 
it was such a, it hit me hard, right? And then the HR vice president of Unilever at that time was in Dubai and I had dinner with him. And I, I was now postulating like, you know, this theory that do women, do we just not negotiate? So I asked him, you know, and he said, actually, you are a, a case in point. When you were going to Dubai and, you know, this guy was going um, to the UK, you just signed and he negotiated. And I, it, oh my goodness. And, you know, you get this feeling, Nikki, like I literally left value on the table. That's how I think now, right? Because I feel, I know my worth and my value and I just left it on the table um, financially. So then I come back to South Africa and I take a break. And then the first organization I joined after my break is South African Breweries. And I'd never had a sign-on bonus in my career. And they offered me, so let's say they offered me 100 grand sign-on bonus. And I was very happy to sign it because I'd never had a sign-on bonus. But I thought, you know what, before I do this, and I went to this guy friend of mine and I said to him, so this is what they're offering me. This is the sign-on bonus. And he said, no, tell them to double the sign-on bonus. I was so nervous going back to Ian and saying, double it, because I literally thought, I mean, I think I should be grateful that I'm getting the sign-on bonus. And then they doubled it. And then I was like, what? Like, so it was just such a powerful lesson for me. So even to this day, I always say, one, I don't hide my salary and how much I earn with my friends and stuff. Um, and I do that, one, because um, if I can help someone else who says, yeah, I mean, I'm like really being underpaid if I hear what Ken is earning, but to, to help myself, because I hope they'll be open as well. And if I feel like, yeah, like, I think I could, I think I'm leaving value on the table here. So that's the first thing too, even in, you know, getting onto group exco and, you know, being given my first bonus and share allocation as an executive member of a bank, I didn't just accept it. I went to my predecessor and I said to him, so here's what they put on the table. What do you think? And he said, um, firstly, he couldn't believe that I'd asked him and I was so open about it. But then he said, he said to me, I think your bonus is really good, but I think they can do more on the shares. And I went back um, to our COO and I negotiated and said, here's what I want for the shares. And I, and I got it. So for me, I think as women, firstly, as women, we tend to think we will be paid what we are worth. We just tend to think somehow it will work out. We will be, and no, we are actually leaving value on the table because we are not negotiating for ourselves. And again, I, I always say this, I say this to my sisters, to all the ladies that I mentor, what is the worst that can happen? Had Ian Penhale said to me, no, you're only getting 100 rand, then I'd still have the 100 rand. That's cool, right? But at least I got double. Um, if I went back to our COO when I was negotiating my, my shares, he could have said, no, that's all we're giving you. Um, and that's also fine. That's the shares I'm getting. It's not like he's going to reduce them, but I got more. Um, and very recently, like a similar thing has happened where I just asked them and I said to Mike and Mfundo, could you just review my salary and where I sit on the earning ranges and stuff? Um, and because of that, you know, I'll be getting an out of cycle increase. So I am now a massive advocate, Nikki, for women to really negotiate for ourselves, make sure that we know our worth, actually, but make sure that we are being paid that worth and we're not leaving any value on the table. Um, and it's not always going to be AS, but it does create, I think, for the other people that they need to watch out. So, you know, it might not be a yes now, it might be a yes later, 
Um, but I absolutely advocate for asking for your work. Mm. It's a really powerful lesson. And I think so many women just avoid on asking the questions that need to be asked. And that's for various reasons. One being that we don't want to be seen to be stupid. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, why didn't we know that? But mm-hmm. you don't know what you don't know until you start asking questions. And I guess asking questions of a diverse group of people. So you might need to gen yourself up and get some knowledge before you head off to your boss to have the conversation so that you feel more confident that you know what you're talking about. And it's interesting that you are prepared to have those conversations with a wide variety of people in your industry so that you know where you are positioned, for example, in the salary scales. Um, You know, where are you? Are you at the top? Are you at the bottom? Are you in the middle? Where are you? And and, and I guess it's it's about knowing your worth. Um, and I think there's also that perception that women have, and I've experienced it myself, that when you ask too many questions, sometimes you are seen as being pushy. Yeah. yeah. You, don't, you don't want to be disliked because women want to be liked. You know, we want yeah. to be accepted. We don't want to be rejected. And we have these huge fears that sometimes if we don't actually go beyond those fears, we'll get left behind. Agreed, Nikki. And then I loved what you said about, you know, have your facts, right? When you go in and have the conversation, because if you think about it, even now, I just said, I just want to understand where I sit on the earning ranges, right? Because that gives me a sense of how fairly I'm being paid. So whatever the conversation then happened after asking that question had to come from a fact, right, in terms of where I sat. So in a way, I do feel like a little bit, so potentially in the last year, I've left value on the table if I hadn't asked, like, I, you know, but I don't, you know, I don't have a lot of regrets. I'm glad I asked and this is where I am now and I'm happy with what they've come to the table with. Um, but it had to come from like a fact. I didn't go in and say, I think you're underpaid. It wasn't an emotional discussion. I just said, I just need to understand this. And if it comes out that it's fair and all of that, I'll be very happy. But, you know, and I I was so direct to my boss. I said to him, I don't want to leave value on the table. And he he actually, he he respected me for that in terms, I didn't even, there was no threats, Nikki, around, I've got job offers wherever. There was none of that. I just like was direct. Um, I want to understand where I sit. And I don't want to leave any value on the table. You come back to me and tell me. And when he came back and he said, actually, you sit at 95, you know, percent, whatever, 95 out of 100 in terms of the pay scales. But given the work that you've done and blah, 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 actually, we're going to bump you up. So, mm-hmm. yeah. When... <laughs> the word that comes to mind right now is apologetic. Mm. I find there was a moment where I realized that when I was writing emails around, you know, to, to potential clients around the fee I was going to charge or whatever, that I found myself being apologetic and having to, to justify why I was charging what I was charging. And I, this penny dropped that if I was a man, I probably wouldn't be writing the way I was writing. And I had a conversation with a few female friends of mine who run their own businesses. And we all agreed that 
this is what women kind of naturally do. We feel we have to justify and apologize for why we want to ask for the money that we're asking for. Where does that come from, Kenzie? It's like a default. Yeah, I think, (laughs) I mean, there's probably some biological thing, Nikki, and um, I think also just the society we live in, right? Like the, you know, that I don't want to go into the whole patriarchy and how men are always told they're good from a young age, they'll be successful in business. And, you know, I, I just think men are generally reared and raised to being the best that they can be. I mean, I really, it's, it's probably a topic for another day, but mm. I'm very conscious with my niece and my nephew, for example, where my niece um, generally gets told, oh, you're so beautiful, you're so beautiful. And my nephew gets told, oh, you're so smart and you're so strong. Um, so I'm very careful with my niece to also use smart, strong, you know, mm. um, in addition to being beautiful, right? Like, because I don't want her to think that the currency um, is about, you know, beauty. And then she has to learn all the other things later that, oh yeah, I am smart as well. And I am strong and I am, and then she's all got these doubts as she's trying to build it. So I do think it, it really comes, there's a lot of, in terms of how we are brought up in our society and all of that. I even see it, Nikki, when I'm doing performance reviews where, you know, like the guys who report to me, like the men who report to me, will come into a performance review and tell me they're exceeding. And I'll be sitting there thinking, how, Sway, how are you exceeding, you know? And then we go through the KPIs and then I push them back to performing. And, you know, you can tell, like, actually some of them, they were taking a chance, but they'll take the chance and they'll see where it lands. And then they get to perform and they're like, okay, fine. Mm. But then I see like some of like the ladies and the women in my team who come in and say, oh, we were performing. And I'm like, have you seen what we've achieved in your space? Like, I think you're exceeding, you know? So definitely as women, we tend to, yeah, there's a, there's a more apologetic, um, I guess, way about us. Um, but I believe, Nikki, and I'm a perfect example of it, that we can learn how to grow the muscle of the muscle of asking for what we want, the muscle of being braver, and you, you do it once, you'll continue to do it. Actually, in a simple way, even when um, I'm mentoring, there's a young girl in my team who I mentor, and she's very ambitious, but whenever she's in meetings, she doesn't say anything. So I said to her, but I don't understand. You want to be a marketing manager, you want to head up the brand at some stage. We don't know your voice in meetings. We don't know what you think. So I gave her a challenge and I said, every meeting, I want you to say at least one thing. I don't care what it is. I don't care if you think it's stupid. I, don't, I just want you to say one thing. What that has helped her with is she's now grown the muscle of being able to speak in meetings, no matter what anyone thinks, what she's saying, like whether it's smart or not. Like she's now more confident. So I see her, she speaks more than once now in meetings. Her opinion is out there. But she had to grow that muscle. And I think that's what we need to do as women. You need to try once and strengthen. Like, they, you know, if you are wanting to strengthen um, your abs, right? That's the muscle you focus on and you work on it however many times at gym, at home, you know, doing sit-ups and all of that. And that for me is like a similar thing in this space is how do you strengthen your muscle in things that um, you are, yeah, shy about that, you don't want to put yourself out there on at least 
try it once and continue and continue. And in the end, it will become natural. Yeah, oh, things that are difficult, you know, when, we, when we're growing, we're pushing ourselves out of our comfort zone. And that takes practice to get comfortable uh, and, and to feel competent in new areas. And sometimes that means really doing things over and over again. So I love your example because you've challenged her in every meeting to actually become a contributor. And you, you won't be seen unless you are seen to be contributing. Kenzie, this has been such a vibrant conversation and I have so enjoyed your honesty, your vulnerability, your authenticity. It really shines through in, in every word that you say. And I wonder if uh, you've got any closing comments for our listeners who are really listening to us today because they want to win at both work and life. Yeah, so um, I, I discovered maybe a couple of years ago this whole idea of work-life integration, um, you know, which takes it beyond, you know, the idea of work-life balance. And for me, you know, I don't really know the textbook meaning of it, but I bought into it. And like, that's part of, I guess, doing me and bringing my authentic self to the world is because I actually have this work-life integration. And, and I give an example. I was on holiday. So before I turned 40, I had a 40 before 40 list. And one of the lists was to drink champagne in champagne and drink a Bordeaux in Bordeaux. So I was with my friends on a train between Champagne and Bordeaux, and I mean, I'm on leave. And then on the train, I opened my laptop and I started working. My friends were like, but you're on leave. And I said, for me, this is how I think about, at that moment, I wanted to do my work and I wanted to respond to a couple of things. But at the same time, I can very happily, and my PA will know, I'll say like on a Wednesday afternoon, cancel all my meetings, I'm gonna have bubbles, or I'm going to the spa, or I'm, I love going to the movies, even alone. Like I'll, I'm going to watch a movie, you know? So for me, it's how do I do all of those things work in a way that I come out happier, better, more productive, more, you know, ultimately what you should judge me for as, you know, people at the bank must judge me for my output and my delivery and, you know, what I'm achieving. Don't judge me for where, how I do it. Um, so yeah, I think that would be figure out what your work-life integration looks like I, because I don't believe in, I know they're meant to say like this balance is make sure that the scales between both worlds and stuff, but it still feels to me that it's, it makes it two different worlds. And for me, that just doesn't work. And I am lucky, Nikki, that the job that I do, we end up, I end up in conversations with Nikki Bush that inspire me personally. So is this like, yes, it's part of my job, but it then also builds me personally. I end up, you know, we sponsor the Cape Winemakers Guild and I end up chilling with winemakers, you know, we sponsor the NetBank Cup and, you know, I end up at football matches. How is that, like, and I love football, I'm a massive soccer fan. How is that something that I want to balance? I want it all to integrate into who I am, how I do my job, how I deliver, because I become my best in all of that, um, my best for the organization and my best for myself. Oh, Kenzie, thank you so much. You really have uh, stimulated a lot of thought about why it's important to bring your whole self to the table. And in doing so, you need to make sure to use your line that you do you in a Absolutely. way that is very specific to you and stop 
comparing yourself to other people and take responsibility for you and all the actions you take, the choices you make, your attitude. Take time for growth and self-reflection is absolutely vital. And really wherever you are, whether you're at home or whether you're at work, just celebrate the fact that these are all expressions of the same person, that you are expressing yourself through whatever it is that you are doing right now. Kenzie, I really want to tell you that my fingers are crossed for that Lurie Award, uh, <laughs> the Marketing Leader of the Year for 2021. And please keep in touch and let us know what happens. I think that announcement is somewhere around the end of October 2021. So we will be watching the marketing news for that. But just to say, Kenzie, thank you for being an inspiration. Thank you for coming and sharing with our listeners today. And to our listeners, please send through your comments, questions, and topic suggestions to info at nickybush.com. And you're invited to share this podcast with your friends and colleagues to empower them to win at work and life too. <laughs>